0: another thing, and another thing, and another thing, and another thing. Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing, the podcast that continues to set the bar in the world of podcasts, as we always do. My name is Jody Jenkins. And my name is Tony Clement. And another wonderful show arranged for you today. We are hot on the heels of a couple huge guests the last couple weeks, but I'm confident that we will top those shows today. Just a feeling I I have. I am too. So, apparently the... I mean, I hate to give this guy more attention than he than he's already been getting, but apparently, um, the team at MNC Podcast Network, which we are a part of, they told me that that Pacini show is blown up. So, oh, good, yeah, take that, take that for what it's worth. But, uh, well, I, I yeah. saw
1: Minister Pacini at a dinner recently, and he was uh, he was all over how he enjoyed our podcast, and he managed to convince two other uh, cabinet ministers to be guests in the future.
0: Was he at the Churchill thing? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I guess he's like, he's a stud now, eh? When you become the Minister of Environment, I guess you're kind of oh, a...
1: You go, you go everywhere, you know? Kind there of a big was, deal. Uh, half the cabinet was at the Churchill Society dinner, honouring the Right Honourable Brian Mulroney.
0: Yeah, we talked about that last week. I wonder, if, the, if you're the Environment Minister, do you think he had to stop using so much, uh, like, spray, hairspray, like aerosol cans on his hair? Well, I
1: remember when I was health minister, I I couldn't eat trans fats, so. What?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were serious. Okay. All right. Uh, This show is proudly brought to you by a bunch of people, but of course, our presenting sponsor is the team at Municipal Solutions, John Mutton and the crew doing their thing there. And Tony, I know you're able to share a little bit more about what they do.
1: Yes, I am, Jody, because John Mutton is very busy these days, very busy at Municipal Solutions. I just check his uh, Muttonator Instagram and you'll see all of the projects he's doing there. But, of course, uh, Municipal Solutions are great at development services, project management, development approvals. If you need a permit that has to be expedited, planning services with municipalities. He works with a ton of municipalities uh, they, they do at that shop, uh, engineering services, architectural services, minor variances, land severances, and, of course, the all-important building permits, go to municipalsolutions.ca.
0: And also, don't forget, you can find exclusive content, including our show, only at loonypolitics.com. And when I say exclusive, I mean... You will hear episodes there that you can't hear anywhere else by becoming an annual subscriber. Use the code podcast to get 50% off your annual subscription. Again, looneypolitics.com. And Tony, you've been working hard the last month or so, bringing in new partners for our show. And, I, you know, we'd be remiss if I didn't give you some time to kind of thank them and mention them. But there's been a couple new ones, hasn't there, been?
1: Indeed, there has, Jody. And we want to thank uh, Stephen J. Sparling at Halton GR for becoming a sponsor. Uh, He is a municipal lobbyist uh, representing development industry uh, clients in the GTA West, uh, including Etobicoke, Mississauga, and Oakville. So go to haltongr.com, and uh, Stephen will set you up there. And then we want to do an unofficial welcome to Mr. Trevor Townsend, who is vice president at Canaccord Genuity. They're obviously an investment banker in Toronto, and we're going to say a little bit more about him in the future, but he has signed on as a sponsor. So we welcome Trevor Townsend to our sponsorship as well.
0: And I hear paper shuffling. It's like, are you, are you taking the show seriously now or something? Like, you're prepared or what? I have notes, sure. Jeez. <laughs> I wonder what you give me the heads no, up here. I'm flying by the seat of my pants every show, and here you are trying to make me look bad.
1: No, I just want to make sure our sponsors are thanked properly.
0: (laughs) All right, so yes, we have a a wonderful guest today. I'm going to let you introduce him, Tony. I'm excited about this one, and I guess let's get to it.
1: Well, it is And Another Thing podcast. Great pleasure to have a second lawyer, second lawyer in a row on our program. We had no lawyers for about Two years, and now we've had two in a row. But uh, this is a welcome to Joseph Newberger. He is the founder of Newberger and Partners LLP, which is a criminal defense lawyer's outfit in Toronto. Uh, And uh, I've known Joseph for a while, but also he has a, Jody, he has a podcast, which I really recommend to our listenership. It's called Not On Record, and he does it uh, with uh, the Untrue Crime podcast and lawyer Diana Davison. I think I got that right. Joseph Newberger, welcome to the program.
2: Thanks so much, Tony and Jody. Nice to be with you. Did I get that right about the podcast? You're right. Diana uh, has uh, a number of episodes about not true crime, and uh, she also has an organization, um, Lighthouse, for people who are wrongly accused of offenses, and We've joined forces, and and now we have this podcast, which is a little outrageous but a lot of fun.
1: It is a lot of fun. fun. You 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 might hear some tinkling of glasses, indicating beverages are being consumed. <laughs> if that's yeah. to say,
2: yeah, we've had a few viewers who actually have gotten a little intoxicated from just watching the show. <laughs> yeah, perfect.
1: So uh, that that's really uh, I do want to talk about this because your show. Uh, it's a serious show. I mean, you, obviously, you, you are witty and, and Diana's witty, but uh, you, you, uh, you have been talking about, from a criminal defense lawyer's perspective, about the gradual and perhaps not so gra- gradual erosion of some, some basic rights that we have as citizens. And I, I, I want to give you the floor just to talk about that a little bit, because I think it is very important.
2: Well, well, thank you very much, Tony. And I, I think it's, you know, a credit to you and, and, and Jody for, you know, discussing this topic because, uh, you know, we we decided to do the podcast simply because, you know, at our stage of the career, um, we're happy with what we're doing. None of us have an interest to go on to other areas in law, so we love uh, doing defense work. But um, there isn't enough understanding in the public domain about how our rights uh, have slowly been eroded over the last decade, but uh, quite rapidly, frankly, in the last uh, three to five years. So we were uh, quite concerned and wanted to talk about it. And we have often people who come into our office and they say, you know, it's either their themselves or a family member, and they're like, "How can this happen?" And I'm like, "Well, pay attention to what your politicians are saying," and um, and it disturbs us greatly. So, you know, for example, one recently that that sent me off the deep end was uh, a very high-profile case in in Toronto where, sadly, an undercover officer who responded to a call uh, at the parking lot uh, where Old City Hall is was was, uh, killed. And the individual uh, who's charged was driving a car and he was charged with murder. And, um, you know, we have great respect for anybody who's a first responder and police officers uh, because they put their lives at risk. But um, there was a bail hearing for this uh, gentleman who's 31 years of age with no criminal record. And he was released by a very intelligent judge who had a a very good career as a lawyer before uh, going to the bench. And the outcry uh, when he was released on a bail um, sent me off the deep end. I was watching uh, uh, CP24 and uh, a certain mayor of a certain city was echoing other comments uh, from the mayor of Toronto and, and the a, pre- for, a former guest of and another thing podcast, by the way. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> you know, but but they were they were talking about bail reform and that the system is broken and how can this happen? And this is terrible. And and then I was on uh, whether it was radio or TV, I can't remember uh, giving a commentary. And I started to get some death threats. And I just thought, um, you know, amongst other things that we do, people just don't get. Uh, You know, being charged is one thing doesn't mean you're guilty. We deal with a lot of cases where people are wrongfully accused, um, particularly in the sphere where we defend a lot of um, domestic and sexual related cases. But what was shocking to me was just how people are willing to give up their rights. So it's like if you're charged with an offense, you must be guilty. If it's a particular offense, then you should never see the daylight of jail. And our politicians all the way down to the municipal level were um, screaming about bail reform. And what really upset me was uh, this one particular press conference. They brought out a a young woman who was a victim of a sexual assault and paraded her out to talk about how the process was grueling for her and and something about how the accused had had bail, which, you know, I hope to God they would have bail uh, because the system works itself appropriately. But But the the overall tenor and fervor of everything was like there should be no bail. And um, that that, you know, is sort of like the epitome to me of where we've gotten where your ability to defend yourself on a number of fronts has been eroded by legislation. uh, And nobody pays attention to it until, as I say, either you, your family member or a good friend is charged. And so that's sort of been the impetus, but that's where our, our concern comes from.
1: Yeah. And and you made the point on your podcast that, uh, you know, bail is there for a reason, unless you're a flight risk or you, you, there's, a, there's a, a probability that you defend again. Bail is there so you can work with your lawyer to build your case to defend yourself.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, the appreciation of how difficult it is when in jail to have access to your counsel, it is extremely difficult, especially during a pandemic. So I haven't been in the inside of a jail for a year and a half, save and except for an extreme circumstance. You get very short periods of time by Zoom meetings, and it's virtually impossible uh, in many types of cases for a person uh, being jailed and not being able to meaningfully participate in their own defense. And it, it's not just simply having a lawyer prepare a case. the The, the client is very much a part of it. So... Bail is very much part of the, the due process that we have in the right to a fair trial. And, and frankly, we have a constitutional right to reasonable bail. But I was just shocked at the fervor that came out against it. And it's not the first time I've heard it. It's, you know, uh, there's legislation that the government was trying to push through that if you're accused of a domestic offense, that you would then bear the onus to be released from jail Um, And that got changed that if you're a repeat offender, then you have the onus. But just imagine because of a particular offense and because of a particular movement, that if you're accused of that offense, we were we were so close to the government having legislation in place that you have to establish why you should be released. It's shocking.
1: And uh, yeah, and this is obviously none of this has been proved in court. There hasn't been a court decision uh, convicting you of an offense. This is, um, uh, I'm not saying a mere accusation, but it's an accusation. Yeah. uh, And it's obviously a serious offense, but you could be stuck in jail. Uh, and, uh, that's, uh, that's the reverse onus all of a sudden, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, to break it down for people who who, like, you know, you're, you have a legal background, so people don't necessarily understand, but when somebody's charged with an offense, it can be based on an individual statement. So a person who's a complainant can say, a person X assaulted me while I was at home or while we were on a walk somewhere or whatever, and the basis of the allegation is the statement of this complainant, and I'm not saying that complainants shouldn't be believed and that shouldn't be evidence, but that can be the basis of an allegation. Then, because of the nature of the allegation, if we had that legislation, a person may wind up in jail because they can't establish their release. Um, that's terrifying because you are in a situation where then it becomes much more difficult to defend yourself.
1: I want to broaden it out just for a second because uh, you make the point about erosion of our rights because we had, uh, obviously, in 1982, uh, the Canadian Constitution was created and part of it was a Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And, uh, you know, uh, most people saw that as an expansion of our rights, but you know what you're saying is, and and there has to, you know, politicians don't come from you know from nowhere. They're elected in these positions. So all of a sudden, if there is is uh, successive legislation to erode uh, the rights of the accused, let's say, uh, then that's by politicians who somehow were elected and. Obviously, have the trust of the of some portion of the public, so it, this is a wider problem, isn't it? Is what I'm trying to say.
2: You're absolutely right. So if we if we take a look at what's happened over the last five years, uh, just use an example. So we've had a federal government that responded to a number of things. One, after a, a trial involving Mr. Gomeshi, uh, the prime minister and the then justice minister decided to revamp legislation so that. Um, any, types of, any type of evidence that an accused has in, in their possession, be it text messages between the complainant and the accused, has to be vetted by a judge. And then they took away the right to a preliminary inquiry in a sexual assault case, which is v- very helpful. Many s- Crown attorneys will say how helpful they are, but they're gone because they didn't want to re-victimize the victim. Of course, nobody's had a trial yet. Um, and then we've taken away the right to, to even have preemptory challenges on jurors because of that case in Saskatchewan where the poor uh, young uh, Indigenous individual was shot. And I'm not making a comment about the jury verdict, but, you know, again, our government came out and essentially condemned the jury, said that the jury uh, was not representative of the population, meaning there was no Indigenous uh, people on the jury panel. And so they wiped out uh, something that's been in place for, you know, well over 100 years, which was preemptory challenges, so that um, I no longer have an ability to... excuse a juror without explaining why and what people don't understand in Canada is our ability to vet who is a potential juror is extremely narrow. So you have no clue uh, really about the background or the biases of someone. You expect them to speak up and say, I, you know, I can't judge this fairly, but that just doesn't exist. So we don't have any real uh, pre-trial examination of who potential jurors are. So these are just a few examples of how our rights are being eroded. Um, And, it's just gone by because people just listen to the politicians and they go, yeah, that's great until they're the one charged.
1: And have you had clients say, I had no idea it worked this way.
2: Oh my God. You know, I deal with predominantly now, uh, first time people charged and I have people from all walks of life, but because I seem to specialize in, 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 these certain areas, people are aghast, like they're shocked. And I have mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and other people coming in, going, how can this happen? Uh, and I'm saying, well, it, it's, it's the law. You know, uh, there's mandatory charging policies, mandatory prosecution. You don't have a right to this. You don't have a right to that. And they're just gobsmacked. And I, I, I unfortunately launch into a bit of a speech, and you know, maybe they won't retain me after that. But I say, you know, pay attention to what the politicians are saying. Speak up. You know, have a concern about your own rights before something happens to you.
1: Do you have advice then to our listenership about how they should comport themselves, how they should carry out in our society, given this, this kind of situation. And I, what I'm saying is like, it, uh, some people you're never shocked that they got arrested for something, but some people, right. it is the biggest shock of their life. That they've been charged with something,
2: right? Absolutely. That, so that, we're
1: talking you, about the latter people, not the former.
2: Yeah. No. And and I know a lot of these people, and I have a lot of them as clients. And you know, you know, back in your day, Tony, you know, you you paid a lot of attention. One of the things that impressed me so much about you was how you were interested in the intricacies of issues that that you faced either as a minister or in your portfolio, and you're looking at it from different angles. We don't have, in my opinion, uh, at, at certain levels of government, the same type of interest in analyzing. Um, potential legislation that can really harm. And my advice to people is that, you know, you've got to really pay attention because just being charged can be a life altering event. So, you know, I use one more example, if you don't mind me doing this, a young, extremely bright student uh, at at U of T who got charged with a number of offenses from an ex-girlfriend, where basically, if you were to read the statement, because I transcribe it, you would be shocked that the police didn't investigate witnesses he was basically innocent right from his own statement because the complainant had admitted initiating not only one assault, but breaking into his dorm. And um, he was nearly kicked out of university. We had to fight that. But more importantly, if if you do a search of him on the computer system for the police, his name pops up with the charges and it says withdrawn. But if he applies for a job at a bank, which is something we're litigating right now, you know, it's what's called a vulnerable sector search, it'll come up and he'll never get the job. So what I'm trying to get across to the public is pay attention to what is being done because these policies where we think we're protecting people who are vulnerable is harming people who are innocent and then who want to go on and live their lives, but can't because it makes bad, bad decisions like this makes bad policies and then implicates people's lives in perpetuity. And we got to pay attention to this, and at some point say, "I really don't want to live in that type of a police state. I don't want to live like this. I want to have some more freedom. I want to have the ability to, uh, to, to, you know, if I'm accused of something and I win, I want to have the ability to go on with my life. I want to have an ability to fully defend myself, or I want to have the ability to to express myself appropriately. You know, that's the other aspect that I noticed that you know the erosion because of political correctness and 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 other um, interests. You know." Somebody's come in with the human rights case now, where we don't really do it, but it's a young man who has something uh, on his car in support of um, uh, first time, uh, first uh, first responders, in particular police, and he's being asked by a school to take it off of his vehicle. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine? Because some people view that police are not as diverse or don't have the same interests as other groups. Or that they may be oppressive of certain people, so that young man can't express it. It's shocking to me where we're getting as a society.
1: Yeah, and it's it is ideological. Um, I, I guess maybe you could say everything is ideology, but the, the, this specific ideology here uh, is it, you know it used to be you know the the leftists the leftists on campus who were against the establishment. I'm talking about in the '60s and seven 1960s, 1970s. Yeah yeah were were the ones in favor of free speech because they it was their speech that was being cancelled, I guess, and so they were they were free speech advocates. Now we live in a society where uh you know a lot of these radical pro- progressives at least it, it, not only do they disagree with you, that's fine, but they they actually don't want you to have the right to speak
2: yeah, shocking it's it's just just absolutely shocking. To now be in a situation where those who, you know, were advocating for free speech are now advocating for what is appropriate speech. That's really what it is. Yeah. What is appropriate speech, and 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 that's in the eyes or the ears of the person who's now dictating these policies. And that's what's incredibly frightening. I mean, I just see us moving in a direction where you know it's going to get worse, and we're going to have the voices of many individuals be uh, be oppressed.
1: Jody, in the interest of your free speech, uh, do you want to add anything to the conversation?
0: Well, no, this is a very interesting conversation. The only thing that I keep wondering is, you know, maybe lighten the mood a bit, but how would Ben Matlock do in today's courtrooms? <laughs> Not well. Yeah. You know,
2: I, I'd like, I like his suit though, especially in summertime. It's a nice suit.
1: It's nice and light. Exactly.
2: Nice light. You know, those days when it's like 90 degrees and you're at old city hall in one of those crummy small courtrooms, that's the suit you want to be wearing.
1: Now I've said this before old city hall, you get to see a slice of life that not many people get to see, right?
2: No. And it's a beautiful building. You know, there's a new courthouse being built, but when you walk in there, you know, it's a step back in time, the architecture, and then, you know, yeah, you're seeing people from all walks of life, or at least before the pandemic, and, uh, you know, it, it gives you a real balanced view, and, and you know, have a, an understanding and compassion for other people, appreciate what you have, you know, take joy in the work that you do and the health that you have, and you see other people who are suffering, and and, you know, it's a very interesting occupation, but when you go to a place like that, you get to see things that people don't normally see.
1: Do you uh, is that one of the things that sort of keeps you fresh as a defense lawyer? Like it, it must be hard in, in some ways because you are kind of ground down by the system a little bit. And, uh, you know, you've expressed yourself this 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 broadcast about some of the frustrations. But uh, is that one of the things that keeps you going when you're dealing with people that that need your help?
2: You know, it's an excellent question. You know, I, I, you know there's a balance. Um, I, I've been blessed by having uh, great colleagues to work with. Um, my, my office and my staff are amazing. Two of my partners have gone on to be judges, but those who have joined me afterward have been just really good people. So you got great support, you know, great support at home with, uh, with my family. Um, but then you see the successes. Um, and, you know, sometimes somebody who, who is quite fragile, you're able to help them. And then in other cases, you're able to see successes. And the other thing I think that, you know, as, as time goes on, uh, relationships build with crown attorneys and judges. And so you're able to make uh, change and do things that, that you might not have been able to do uh, at the early part of your career. So that's when it comes, you know, it, it reinvigorates you, but it also becomes very satisfying at that stage.
1: What would you say uh, was one of your big, biggest successes?
2: Uh, marrying my new wife. There we go. <laughs> I got very lucky with that one. Um, That's a great answer. <laughs> um, you know, in criminal law, I think one of the the greater successes I've had was being to being able to contribute academically um, uh, to to a lot of the case law. Um, I, I, I have a book on dangerous offenders, and and what's been good about it is it's all too easy to classify somebody whose society, you know. It just, you know, doesn't want to tolerate or reviles. And, you know, there's been a really good balance and measure in the way judges have dealt with things. And, and obviously what we write about in the book and the cases and, and, and the suggestions the courts have been taking to, to heart. Um, and then the other, you know, frankly, has been, um, uh, you know, I, through the years, we've been able to build up a lot of congeniality and a lot of great contacts. And so we do a lot for Feed the Hungry. And you'd be surprised just how much lawyers do for that. Yeah. Um, and that's been a wonderful thing. And then every so often there's the cases where you save somebody's uh, future because they were wrongly accused. And there's a few of those to mention, but I, th- I think those are sort of the highlights. Well,
1: Joseph Newberger, you're doing uh, great work there. Uh, I, and I do encourage people to uh, listen to your podcast, which is not on record that's available wherever podcasts are available.
2: That's right. It's Spotify, wherever that is, uh, you can find it there. And thank you for that plug. <laughs> I really appreciate it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's on. Is are you on YouTube as well?
2: Yeah, we're on YouTube. We have our own channel. There's a website, uh, so we're everywhere. Um, and really, what it is for me is just awareness. That's yeah. all I want to achieve is awareness.
1: Yeah. No. And you have good. Uh, you know, we've had a little bit of a discussion here, but you you really drill down deep, and I, I actually enjoy the banter back and forth, uh, you know, on some of these topics. Uh, and I think you, you do that very well. So congratulations with that. And it's been great having you on the program. Thank you,
2: Tony. Thank you for having me on. It's, it's great uh, being on your podcast and, and being able to listen and see what you're doing. So thank you, Tony and Jody. It's a real pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Lots of great information there. And definitely someone, I, I, he sounds like someone I'd want to hire if I was ever to be in trouble.
1: I'm telling you, uh, uh, I, I, I obviously do not look forward to any day where I'd be charged with an offense. But if no, I no, knew no, what no. That
0: was, same uh, here. Same be my here. lawyer, for sure. Yeah, no, and uh, you can definitely sense the passion there. So that was, uh yeah. that was a really interesting conversation. And yeah, we got uh, more great guests coming up, and this show seems to be just flying by. I think this is like this at the end of this year. are We like into year two or three. We'll be into year three.
1: We'll be in year three, yeah, season Holy
0: three or whatever. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Sure. That's yeah, unbelievable.
1: Uh, we're, I think, this is episode one oh nine, so uh, that's that's getting up there, I think. And uh, we want to thank our listeners as always. They're, they've been great and they are passionate. We hear from you and uh, we love your feedback. And so, thanks, thanks to our listeners for keeping the show uh, relevant and fresh. And uh, and I hope you're enjoying because you know we're. Uh, you know a lot of podcasts, and I don't blame them for this. Uh, they've got their they've got their lane, and they stick to their lane. And we we try to mix it up a little bit, you know. And uh, we've had comedians, we've had musicians, we've had lawyers now, uh, politicians, obviously. So, uh, thank you for allowing us to have a kind of an eclectic show uh, with different topics as a result.
0: Every time you mention comedians, I'm like, man, just leave Peter McKay alone. <laughs> like, It's just not right. Yeah, you, it's you... <laughs> not
1: right. I was thinking of Ben Bankis, but yeah, Peter McKay.
0: Oh, oh okay, sorry. Bazinga, um, yeah. You know, even more unbelievable than the fact that we're going into year three of this show is the fact that recently, Tony, I don't know if you heard this, but three deer were I found to have COVID-19. I believe that was in Quebec, so three deer... Have been identified as carrying the virus, which of course is is hellacious. So I don't know what we're going to do on that well,
1: front. I think in in the U.S. Uh, and I'm relying on Steve Ranella, the Meat Eater podcast for this. I think it's like like seventy percent of the deer that they've tested are po- are positive for COVID.
0: Yeah, and so and I mean, like it's you know, are we watching? I don't know what the deer ICU is like. I'm not really know. you know, the cases aren't aren't <laughs> affecting me. I want to know the hospitalizations, right? So yeah,
1: I know. And those uh, those unvaxxed deer, they can't get on the plane.
0: Like, is that even newsworthy? Like, honestly. Like I don't know. I, I I I don't know. But you know what? There's probably people that are nervous about that.
1: Well, I think it's just uh like it's just it just shows you that this is really everywhere and this is one of the points i've been making it's endemic now and by that i mean it's here and it ain't going anywhere anytime soon so uh, how are we going to reorder society in a way that protects people but you know a lot of us you me a lot of our listeners want to get back to some sort some form of normalcy as quickly as possible uh, safely but as quickly as possible so this is the this is the big question
0: in my mind but what about the deer, Tony? That's, that's I know. the well,
1: deer. Uh, if I were to have some uh, venison, uh, I I think I would be comfortable doing that.
0: Do you know how difficult it is to get a mask over those antlers each and every time? Like, <laughs> it's terrible. I was I've been watching them on the side of the road. It's it's unbelievable.
1: I know. Bad for them. Doesn't work. Doesn't like work. I feel bad for them. You that's know, great. and then
0: they've got to figure out like what's a what's an essential bush, what's a non essential bush that they're going in to eat, like. It's, and those uh, know,
1: nitrile the, gloves for the hoofs uh, they, yeah, they
0: it's, that it's 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 <laughs> and the hand sanitizer, gets, the hand in sanitizer. The cra- gets in between the cracks of their hoofs. It's man, yeah. I thought we gotta, I thought we had it rough as humans. Deer, yeah. whole other level, whole, whole other level,
1: level. You know, uh, you gotta you gotta get wa- get them to wash their hoofs for twenty seconds.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Oh my gosh. One thing, you know, I, I will say this though, and I, again, I'm not an epidemiologist, but I do play one on TV, but that a friend of mine made a good point that in, in the theory sounds good with this. Oh, uh, what is it? i um, Oh, I don't even know how you say it, but the new Om- variant, Omicron. 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 Yeah. So that new variant that, you know, it could be nature's way of, you know, just the way nature plays out in the sense that if this was a more transmissible variant or virus, it comes in, sweeps through, it's not as severe, can't, you know, gets rid of Delta yeah. and kind of just, that's, that's what it is. Right. Like, which to me, I'm like, geez, that makes sense. And and who would have thought that mother nature knows what, what they should be doing. Right. So
1: there, there are uh, epidemiologists who are saying that it might be the best thing possible to, to knock off Delta. Uh, and uh, you know, I guess the, the point is, do we want to stop it from doing that? But uh, you know I, the fact is it's it's here anyway so if it's going to take over it's going to take over like interesting stuff and in, it was first found in South Africa as we know and 72 percent of South Africans already had COVID that's like, right they, they had well, a high I rate. mean
0: even here like I mean I've had since the kids went back to school in September we've literally had at least four to five colds or you know like symptoms of colds slash some fevers and whatever I have never been tested I've never gotten a test yeah, oh, I've had colds. I I mean, the the law of averages would say that I've probably had COVID, to be honest. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I I don't know. But it's like, I don't know. I just always remember I played golf with an emergency room doctor, actually the chief of staff for the emergency room here locally. And he told me, he said, you know. 100% that numbers cases you know all that stuff likely 7 to t- 10 times higher than what we actually get reported. Sure. Which sure. then leads me to believe that many 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 of us have had it.
1: Yeah. Right? So yeah, I, I anyway. still suspect that I had it back in March of 2020. So. Yeah. So that was before anyway. anybody was doing any testing for anything. I
0: just yeah. can't believe we've been talking about this for two freaking oh, years. <laughs> Incurable. <laughs>
1: hey i just want to say one final thing i'm i'm about two-thirds of the way through the beatles uh, documentary peter jackson documentary oh lord are we going to talk
0: about that are we going to talk about that do you do you
1: not want to talk about it
0: i've well i this is great because I, I before you get into your you you should talk second because you'll be able to to maybe help me out so i've tried to watch it five times now and i <laughs> i last for about 15 minutes tops at a time i've i, I think it's interesting to see the like what's going on and that it's so old and and whatever i think that's kind of interesting but i it is so slow to me that i just i like i don't even care and i'm and i'm trying like literally i've tried right. five times to watch it i can't i, I just I can't get into for, it
1: i don't think it's for everybody and i'm i'm not saying that in a in a snooty way it's it it is there are parts of it that you know p- people would say what's what's the point but there's lots of like little uh, what i like is the microaggressions uh, <laughs> that are being displayed by the the four Beatles and but well three of them anyway i don't think ringo is a capable of microaggression but uh but uh you know there's just little things that they do and i'll give you one example uh where uh at uh, i think in part one george had a hari krishna guy sitting in a corner in a praying position, right? I don't know if you remember that. And, and John Lennon says to George Harrison, Who, who's that old guy in the corner, right? And he says, oh, that's the Hare Krishna guy. So what John Lennon did was he actually used a line from their movie, A Hard Day's Night, where they had a, there was an old man in a, in, in a train carriage and they said, who's that old man in the corner? And uh, Ringo said, oh, that's my uncle or something like that. Okay. So he was actually using a line
0: from their own movie. Interesting. No, yeah. I, I mean, it's, I, I have the so. There's a friend of ours, uh, a friend of Well, I call him a friend. He's very well known in our community. And, and if Andy is listening, then... Uh, actually, I'm going to tag Andy in this show, because maybe he'll get some new listeners for us, but uh, Andy Forgey is his name, and the guy's like a legend in music, and mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. is like, hey, he headed up a um, a Beatles kind of tribute group um, mm-hmm. called All You Need Is Love, mm-hmm. and yeah. they were, they were like, they went all over these big Beatles festivals, like, they were huge, and they recently just did their final show, but anyway, Andy Forgey is like, a massive massive beatles fan so i had posted on facebook that i was having trouble getting through this program and you know what am i doing wrong andy and and he t- and just his i i can understand like he you know he said he laughed he wept he you know he, he yeah. rejoiced but just he was able to kind of talk about how like he felt like he grew up with like these were like his four brothers and yeah. and just the connection right and i get that because that's you know that's his his scene and and stuff like that but no it's uh It it was interesting. The other thing I couldn't, I couldn't understand was like that Yoko Ono. She was there the entire time. Well,
1: there there, there is some thinking that John wanted her there that she, if you, if you look closely, she's doing crossword puzzles or reading her mail. Uh, She's not paying that much
0: attention. No, I know. It's like, it's almost like she's like, I wish I wasn't here, but
1: yeah, exactly. I I think, I think she wasn't forcing herself on, on, you know, into their recording sessions. I think John himself wanted her there.
0: And I will say this
1: part of the problem with George.
0: And I will say this Paul McCartney to me um, was much cooler back then. Like I'd never really seen him in that capacity. So with the beard and the way he carried himself, I thought he was way cooler than what what I've known of Paul McCartney now. So,
1: yeah, he was a natural leader in that band. No no question. And John had the magnetism though. Like when he's on the screen, you cannot look away. He's got something that is so magnetic. Uh, that's how I feel, anyway. And uh, and that's tough. Like uh, uh, you know, uh, for for George Harrison, one of the reasons he quit the band uh, in the middle of this session was you know it it's not his band. He's he's kind of an afterthought. Uh, it's, it's John and and Paul's show. So yeah, I can understand why that would be grating after a while.
0: It you know it's funny though. And just speaking of like shows and and. TV and movies in general, you know, you talk about how I've had difficulty getting into this Beatles thing, but yet this new Hawkeye series that Disney released, yeah. I can't, I can't get enough of that freaking show. Like, I want every episode out now. Like, it's, it's that really, thing's got me I, hooked.
1: I, yeah what 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 is it about it?
0: I don't know. I just like I, I just love I I love Marvel. I'm a huge. I don't know. I am all in on those like Marvel shows. I've just always been like that. But I don't know. I just started the Hawkeye thing. Like you said, it was great and I was going to watch it anyway. And then I was just like, boom, boom, boom. And I watched the episode this week. I was like, oh my gosh. They just have an amazing way of keeping you. You got to go. You got to come back for the next one. Right. No, they definitely
1: do the cliffhanger thing after each episode.
0: But I, I don't know. I just thought it was really good and you know not to turn this into all about movies but and then i tried to watch jungle cruise with the rock and i i <laughs> i can't even I, I i think it sucks i'm not liking it i'm not like
1: he's got it. to run for president he's out of movies now
0: oh god don't even say that <laughs> don't even say that but you mark my words well he's i don't think so the only reason i say that is because i'm a huge wrestling fan and you know you talk about what they brought up um from Trump's past when he ran and tried to, yeah, embarrass yeah, yeah. the Rock. There's a lot of segments. Yeah,
1: Wayne so, like, has got some explaining to do.
0: Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So I don't know how you get around that, but no, well, who knows in today's world? Oh, yeah, exactly. So, all right. Once again, right. thanks to John Mutton and the crew at Municipal Solutions. We appreciate the support as founding and presenting sponsors. Also, LoonyPolitics.com. Become an annual subscriber. Use the code podcast and you'll get 50% off. Again, looneypolitics.com gives you exclusive content that you cannot get anywhere else. And Tony, I know you want to drop a couple more just before we head out.
1: Yeah, haltongr.com. Stephen J Jay Sparling, for, uh, especially for uh, development industry clients in the west of GTA. He's there for you at haltongr.com. And then we're welcoming uh, Trevor Townsend at uh, Canaccord Genuity to the program. I'll, I'll have some more copy about what he's up to uh, in future broadcasts, but we're certainly welcoming to our sponsorship broadcast because it's, uh, that's what keeps us going, man.
0: And before we head out, let's do some name dropping guests coming up. I know we've got the minister of energy, uh, for the province of Ontario. Todd Smith is going to be a guest soon. Uh, you've got you, who's it? Prab Sarcaria, uh, Sarcaria,
1: the president of the treasury board for Ontario, uh, I've been meeting. I've been trying to get him on the show for a while. He's. uh, We finally sort of set something up. He's a busy guy. One of the. He's been. He's considered one of the real up-and-comers in the Ontario government. So, we'll have a couple of government officials for you, and then we're working on some entertainment guests as well. So, yeah. Please stay with us because uh, we're we're full service, man. It's uh, soup to nuts. It's politics. It's entertainment. It's law. It's everything.
0: Arnold Schwarzenegger is coming up. He'll be back. <laughs> Can you imagine if we get to the point where Arnold Schwarzenegger's on the show? All We're bets doing are okay. Off. All bets are off. And I should say, final shout out to Jordan and the team at MNC Podcast Network. Yes, for allowing us to lead the charge with their fledgling company. It's an honor to to uh, be the top dog uh, for their organization. So they're doing Jordan, a great job. Jordan's doing a great job. So all right, we'll do this again in seven days. Yes, sir.